Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. Hey, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, how many of y'all really enjoyed Pastor Clark last week? I, I know I did. Uh, uh, so th this, morning, this morning's message is called Don't Be Stupid, okay? Uh, now, I, I built this off of something that I did last week, okay, and, and forgetting to announce our, our founding pastor, the one who kind of started all of this and, and all that. If you were here, you know what I'm talking about. I was so excited about worship. I was so excited about getting to do it, and I walked off stage, and I'm high-fiving people and saying, man, God is good, and they're like, dude, you did not even announce Pastor Clark. So anyway, uh, stupid is as stupid does, as I've heard. And, uh, and so I thought I would entitle this message this morning in a way that Pastor Clark, I think, would really appreciate the title of this message. Uh, this, is, this is his style. So, don't be stupid. Now, I, I want to I clarify this morning as we get into this. I know that's some strong language. Some moms in here might be shaking their heads at me. Here's the thing, is that this is not my words. These are, these are, these are uh, Paul's words, okay? So get mad at Paul about this, because he's going to call the Galatians this, this harsh word, okay? Uh, now, here's the thing. I, it's, it's not about uh, you being stupid. It's about doing something that is stupid, okay? Uh, like I gave you the example of myself just a moment ago. But here's the thing is that this morning, this is such an important concept, and it's such an important thing that Paul wanted to make sure that he sort of shook people up a little bit. He was shaking these Galatians up. If you're, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we're in the middle of a, a Galatians series. We're working our way through the whole book, uh, letter. And so he, we're on chapter 3, verse 1, in just a moment. But before we get to that, let's just recap for just a moment that I loved how Clark said this last week, he ended with this, and that is, is that we are living off of God's promise. That's what you and I are living off of. Can you, can you trust that God will always keep his word? Oh yeah, if there's anybody that can, it is him. He is truth itself. He is reality. What he shares with you is the way things actually are, and we can live off of that promise that there was a way, a truth, and a life. He revealed to us the way into reality of life and into this whole picture. We just sung about it this morning. I mean, all these words that were, were trying to capture the idea that, Lord, we see things through your eyes, and we can see things because of this great faith you've given us. We talked about this last week, but even by our terms, right, and by our covenant marriage, for example, okay, now we don't do this perfect, as you know, but the idea is, is that it's supposed to be till death do us part. It's supposed to be that uh, we can't add anything to it, can you? You can't get to year five and go, okay, I've noticed you don't do the dishes, I'm making that contingent upon, you know, you can't do that, right? It's a, you're, you've already secured the deal. And in the same exact way, he says, look, God promised Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham, and not just to Abraham, but to the son that Abraham would someday have to this seed. And so he says, look, just because the law came 430 years later, it doesn't mean that it nullifies God's promise at all. In fact, they're just different lanes, two mutually exclusive things that God was doing. The law doesn't have anything to do with the promise except to point to Jesus, how Jesus would satisfy it and usher us into this life that Abraham was seeing through faith where everyone was blessed because of faith. And love revealed this faith to us. Now, we, we, we hear, we, we, we get faith through hearing, right? So we hear by faith is how we actually hear God. 
I love this. I, I, I love this idea. And just to spend a moment on it, just that we hear this way. Uh, I meet many people who, who say, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, uh, but I've never actually heard God's voice. Maybe you've met someone like that. They say, I, I, I just wish I could have heard God at some point in my life. I, I don't know why, what's wrong with me. I've never heard God, but I believe in him. I've just never heard him. Oh, the enemy has absolutely tricked you because you did hear him. In fact, what we're going to see is you can't even believe God unless you've heard him, unless you have heard from him. Faith, in other words, is the key. Faith was received by Abraham, and that made him right. It made him righteous. It made him alive. It made him see. He could, he could be in relationship with God. Abraham didn't have the law. There was no obstacle it was just relational. It was relationship based off of his promise. And so he trusted God and was blessed because of it. So Jesus authored and perfected a faith for you and for me. He made something for you and me so that we could hear God. Because do you understand that you would never on your own ever approach God? Oh, if he showed up in the room and you didn't have faith, you'd run the opposite direction. You wouldn't run to him. So God had to give us something so that we could approach him, Scripture says. And so as Jesus asked the question, will faith be found on the earth, he went ahead and made sure faith will absolutely be found on the earth because he was going to produce it and show it to us. And this word pistis, this Greek word that we look at called faith, it means uh, it, it's, a, it's a causing you to trust in God by him persuading you. It's him telling you how good he is by showing you Jesus. The Bible says, and we're going to read it right here in a minute, faith comes by hearing, it says, and hearing by the word of Christ. You received this the moment you heard about Jesus, the moment you heard about how good he is, the moment you heard that God did something for you so massive, so good, so great, and in this moment there was something that happened to you and you got faith, and you suddenly heard, and you said, wait a minute, there's a God that loves me? <laughs> that by itself is incredible. Usually it's the other way around. It's about you loving them. This God loves me, and it changes you. Romans 10, 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever? Are you serious? Anybody? Hitler? Anybody? Like, really think about it? Anybody? Yes, that's the offense of this. It's anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can believe that and receive this everlasting life that looks totally different than anything you and I will ever find here on earth. It's counterintuitive to everything you'll see on earth. It's counterintuitive to how your Monday will go tomorrow. It's, it's the complete opposite of what you see in the natural, and we see it by faith. Now, before we get into Galatians 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 at first. There's five different questions he's going to ask, question back to back, five different things. He's setting up an argument that he's going to build, Paul's going to build uh, over Galatians 3 all the way through Galatians 6. Um, and he's going to set it up these questions. Okay, but he's going to, before he gets to that, we have Galatians 2.20 that I want to recap because he's going to build a lot of this off of this ma massive statement that he just made. And it goes like this. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Oh, you're about to see why he calls them fools. Don't you realize, when you saw Jesus on the cross, you were on the cross. Do you realize what that thing that you're working out in your flesh, and, oh, God, I'll do better next time, and blah, blah, blah. Do you realize all of that died on the cross? Like, you, were, you died. <laughs> That's why he's utterly surprised when he gets into Galatians 
3, verse 1, and says, You foolish Galatians, you stupid Galatians, which is what that word means in the Greek. Who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell over you? Well, we know it was the, the Judaizers. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You were there. Like, it's not like the 21st century Americans who are having to imagine what it was like, and, oh, man, I can see the dusty roads and the cross and all this stuff, and, and we get it all wrong, okay, to be honest with you. He goes, you guys were there. You saw him crucified, and I'm telling you, you were crucified with Christ. You're there. You saw it. <laughs> and then you're saying you got to fix yourself. It doesn't make any sense. He's just absolutely confused. So he goes, look, this is what I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? This faith, this good news that came to you that caused you to believe. Did I come to you with good news, which was, guess what, Galatians? Many of you are Gentiles and you've never been under the law. I've got wonderful news for you today. You're now under the law. I'm a saved person now. No, that's not how it happened. No, instead he goes to them and he shares with them the good news, faith. And they believe. You mean to tell me that God loves me? Yeah, that's it. Will you believe that? Will you believe that God is gracious towards you? Would you believe that God, everything? Yeah, I can, I can do that. It's totally different. Now, here's something else. Being in Galatia, you've got to remember that, that many of the people that Paul is talking to, they didn't have much understanding of the law at all. And so what he's saying to them is, is that you, you didn't get this before. You didn't have the law before when you were saved. Why now? Why are you going back to this now? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you're being perfected by the law, by the flesh, excuse me, using the law as your, your guide, that this is, this is how you're going to do it, that you had no capability to save yourself. The Bible says you were a slave to sin. You couldn't free yourself. The law just showed you you were a slave. That never freed you, never offered help at all, <laughs> just said you're a slave. And here he says that you found this freedom in the spirit. I mean, take a moment for just, just a moment. Think about something in your own life that you feel shame about, that you feel like, man, I, I just can't seem to, God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so, th think about that thing for just a moment and ask yourself the question, are you ever going to find victory by knowing that it's wrong? No, that you know it's wrong, but you, you're trying to stop it, right? You're trying to fix it. <laughs> and Jesus offers that solution in him. He says, look at what I have done for you. So he continues by saying, look, in other words, you can suffer things in vain. He says, Paul says, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, it is vain to make it about you, okay? He's saying, listen, you guys have traded your homes. Many of you are being persecuted to the point of death. You're living this horribly hard life that honestly nobody in this country that we're living in today could even understand what these guys were going through. And here they are going through all of this, and Paul's saying, and you're doing all of this for the law? Like, do you realize we already had all of that? That this whole spiritual reality that's come into play, yeah, I get why you would die for that, because it's, it's bringing life to you. You're being crushed and yet experiencing life. That I get. But to think that God now wants you to live in bondage as some kind of way to perfect you is, is stupid, is what Paul would say. Now, look, I'm going to give you two, two, two fills, okay? If you want to remember this, there's two fills. And I'm going to, I'm going to use Philemon 1.6 and Philippians 1.6 to take a point. Paul is, is, going to, is going to demonstrate something to you and to me. And that is, is that you have everything you need. I know tomorrow you might wake up and disagree with me and say, I don't know. 
I feel like I don't have everything I need. Paul's going to demonstrate to you, you actually do, and it's in Christ because your life ended and you gained everything he had, okay? It's a phenomenal thing that God did. But these two verses I'm going to show you, you could read these verses in two different ways. Depending on the lens that you're coming in with, you could read this as something that God's still helping you do and you're going to get there, or you can take it as a finished, completed work. So let's demonstrate it. Let's look at Philemon 1.6 first. He says this, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Every good thing. All right. Well, some take this verse and say (laughs) that the way that you prove that you are a Christian and that your faith is effective is you go out and you do these good works that then demonstrate that, okay, it's real. It's not just an act. It's not just... Okay, do you know that's what the Judaizers taught? Like, that's literally what they taught, is, is if you become a Jew like us, then you're demonstrating your faith, and you, you will be a Christian. Well, no, that's not what this verse says at all. In fact, this is a very hope-filled verse. I pray that the experience, the fellowship, the intimacy, if you will, the firsthand relational experience of faith becomes effective through knowing what? That every good thing is in you. Every good thing is in you, and why is it in you? For you just to brag about it or what? No, it's in you for Christ's sake. It's in there for him. Why? Because it's his life in me. He died, and I received his life. So, of course, if he has every good thing, I have every good thing. It's not even just for my sake. It's for the seed. It's for the one the promise was made to that you and I get to benefit from every single day. So, no, it's not that I have to prove myself to anybody. No, I have his life in me, and that is the proof. Philippians 1.6, he says it again in this way, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You can read this in two different ways. You can read this as, I know, I'm just a piece of work. You know, God is, he's working on me. He's going to get me there. He's perfecting me. And man, by the end of my life, I hope I got it all put together. This is how a lot of Christians talk, you know. I know, he's perfecting my faith. My faith right now is not the greatest, but, you know, it's all about God is building and doing. And no, that's not at all what he's saying. He says he's confident. (laughs) I'm confident that he who began a good work will perfect it. That means to bring it to completion. In other words, everything he's completed in you at the beginning is complete in the end. (laughs) You may feel like you lost things, and I'm I'm, I'm a big project of God. He's going to fix me. And God's going, I don't see you that way. You can see you that way. Is God going to, let me just stop and say it, is God going to come into your life and work through things with you? Of course he is. Of course he's going to sit down with you and say, hey, Javen, that, oof, that wasn't the best, you know, let's, let's talk about that. Because it's good for me. It's good for me to have a better experience on this planet. But at the end of the day, I am as he is in this world. I have everything pertaining to life and godliness within me. And any moment that my mind drifts and starts to think that maybe I'm just not that great, God comes along and says, no, you can be confident that every good thing is in you because of Christ Jesus. Amen? So he goes on to verse 5 in Galatians 3. So then, here's this preaching point. Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or hearing with faith? In other words, when Peter was walking around and 
they were just trying to let his shadow hit him, you know, and people are being healed and all this stuff. It's, it's breaking all of the rules, you know. People are being healed, and they didn't, they didn't get all the forgiveness, unforgiveness out of their life, and they didn't do all these things, and this guy's healed. I mean, all this stuff is taking place. I mean, I love this scene, right, where the disciples are walking along, and a guy says, hey, could you, could you, could you give me some money? You know, I, I, he couldn't walk or whatnot. And, and they said, no, here you go. We don't have any money, but let me, just, let me just go ahead and raise you up off the ground and pick you up and watch him get healed. And in that moment, did Peter say, now, hold on a minute. Before I, before I help you, do you know how gross you are? <laughs> no. No, he says, yeah, yeah, works the law, whatever that. Here, here's the spirit. Here's the spirit life. You can offer it to us. Get out of your head, Paul says. Don't be stupid, Galatians 3, verse 6, even so, okay, you want to go to Abraham? He believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand. Did you catch that? He preached the gospel he preached the good news to who? To Abraham. And what was this good news? Abraham, guess what? All the nations will be blessed in you. Everybody. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham. The who? The believer. Who are you? The believer, right? This is crazy. You're, you're not, you're not, okay. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're in the church for long enough, you've been in kids' church and you've sang the song, haven't you? You know, Father Abraham had many sons, you know what I mean? And we start doing like the hokey pokey and like the next thing and it's awesome, you know? Like I, I loved it. I, I used to make up all kinds of chicken sounds and make the kids do fun stuff in kids' church and it's great. And the idea is, it's like, oh, we're, we're now children of Abraham. We've been brought into Israel and all of this. And listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand this just a little bit. He just said that he preached this to Abraham. You understand, I, I picture this is how it happened. I picture the father was with Abraham, and, and he says, the Lord says to Abraham, he goes, listen, I can't give you the whole thing, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm promising not just to all your sons. I'm promising to your son, that your seed. I'm making a promise to him. And Abraham, I'll tell you what, how you're going to receive this is you're going to go to sleep, and I'm going to do it all. <laughs> and then you can receive it. And, and guess what? Your seed is going to be so blessed. I'm going to bless you. And Abraham, guess what? At the end of the day, it's going to be you, Pastor Javen standing next to you, you know, Brooke standing there. I mean, we're all standing side by side staring at Jesus. Not Abraham, as they were. Oh, they were like, Father Abraham. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like, Father Abraham, listen, he got it by faith. And the moment you get it by faith, you're standing next to Abraham too going, oh my gosh, I'm a believer. I'm a believer and receive all of the things that God has got for me. And he's going to do it not through my effort. He's going to put it inside of me. It's, it's just amazing what he's done. And here are the Judaizers coming along saying, no, 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 none of that's real. No, none of that's, it actually is about Father Abraham. And it is about Moses. And it is about these guys. And totally sidetracking what Jesus was doing. The Gentiles were always going to be brought in, and they never had the law. So why now? Paul decides that he needs to do a little education, that maybe, maybe you've been like this before. Maybe you sat in a service as I have, and you heard the preacher say something, and maybe it kind of rubbed you in a weird way, but you're like, you know what, I believe it because that, you know, he shared it, and that was great. Never go off of what I say, okay? Go off of what the Bible says and go read and study yourself, because we can make mistakes, and what these guys were saying was, oh, no, the law is beautiful. 
And, and by the way, you, you know people like this today. I, I know many people that accuse me of being anti-law. <laughs> I'm not anti-law. But they worship it. It's like, Jesus, hold on, we got the law, you know? And that's what these guys were doing. And, and so he goes, let me, let me tell you who you are actually obsessing over. Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and to perform them. Oh, man, you like that one that says don't murder. I, I get that. You know, that's a great one. You know, what about this one and that one and this one? And Oh, if you've even broken one of those, the problem is, is that you're guilty of all of them and accursed. You, you, if you're going to live this way, then you're finding yourself on the outs of God. You're believing that. Man, here's Jesus on a cross. Do you understand how, I mean, insane that was? God's son on the cross, which they knew from Deuteronomy that that meant he's accursed? You wonder why so many people didn't believe in Jesus in that moment because they said this disqualifies him. You, he can't be on the cross. That means he's cursed. He's, he's, God has turned away from him. Romans 8.3 says, the law is weak in your flesh. So God put on flesh and did it for you in Jesus. So Paul continues, no one is justified by the law before God. And this is evident, he says, for the righteous man shall live by faith. The Judaizers were saying that the works of the law confirmed your salvation. And by the way, they still do. <laughs> they still do. Habakkuk 2.4, though, says this, that the righteous, you and I, the righteous will live by faith. But it doesn't just say that. It says the righteous will live by his faith. Do you realize what an important distinction that is? Oh, the righteous, you and me, we live by faith. But whose faith? His. It was prophesied about. It was never going to be up to your faithfulness. It was never going to be up to you being able to do much in this because it just is flawed, right? It just, we can't. Instead, we live off of his faith. So, Paul continues, the law then is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Then you've got two options before you. You can try to keep every single law perfectly until the day you die in some hope that you'll receive life. Or you can take on the promise that Jesus did fulfill all of that for you and enjoy life right now. These are mutually exclusive lanes, and yet Christians try all the time to cross them and mix them as if it makes it better. <laughs> you know, somebody might ask, well, Javen, what is the harm? What's the, what's the harm is using the law as a guideline? Isn't it good to help you and, and see things and all of that? And, well, just go ask the Judaizers. <laughs> just go ask them. That's exactly what they were doing. Well, to a more extreme sense. Instead, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on the tree. Consider this, Galatians. God became cursed so you could become blessed. I mean, how different is that from the rest of what's taught out there in the world? How different is that from everything being taught in every world religion? And why did he do this? Paul continues, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Gentiles had no hope, they had no temple, they had no law, they had no God, they had nothing. Nothing. <laughs> what were they going to hope for? And somebody 
one time, you know, I imagine was listening to some, some people coming out of the temple, and they were talking, and, and, and this Gentile is trying to figure it out, okay, I, I, I got to get in on this. Like, I, I, I want to be in a relationship with God. That sounds awesome. And, okay, what do I got to do? And, and, and he's listening to people have lunch, you know, over here at the restaurant after church, you know, and he's listening, and, and he hears, okay, we have to be holy as he is holy. I mean, as a Gentile at that point right there, you just realize, I, I have no chance because even what the Pharisees were teaching, that this all came through perfect obedience to the law and all this kind of stuff. But they said, we don't even have a law. We don't, we don't have anything to hope for. <laughs> if you can't fulfill it, somebody would have to do it for you. And so as, as uh, Pastor Clark shared last week, Galatians 15 through 22 here in, in chapter 3, that this promise that the Gentiles were receiving, this promise that everybody was receiving, Paul was demonstrating that God had kind of uh, leveled the playing field. He was now saying, look, it used to be about one group of people, one thing that I was doing. And now he says, I've now opened it up to, to the, the picture is what I gave Abraham, that every nation would be blessed. Every nation would be blessed because of Jesus. The law didn't nullify that promise. It showed us our captivity. It showed us what was holding us hostage, why we couldn't believe it was showing us what was keeping us out of relationship with God. But God made a promise to Abraham, and you remember this. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise into your seed. And what did he tell Abraham to do? He put him to sleep. <laughs> oh, man, do you love when you're sleeping and someone does all the hard stuff for you? You ever have that happen? Like, you know, I never have Brooke do all the house cleaning and stuff. Like, never, of course. <laughs> you know, if I wake up and walk out and the whole house is clean, I'm like, man. You know, hopefully I say thanks, you know, and how awesome she is and all that. But, but right, this is exactly what ha happened. Abraham woke up and he goes, oh, I am now blessed beyond my possible imagination. Oh, and by the way, one of my children someday is who that promise was made to. And so it's never going to be nullified until he shows up anyway. So I can live off of that promise and what I'm seeing every single day. And so can you and me. So can us. So can, so can we. <laughs> Well, Javen, didn't there need to be a mediator? Who was there? You know, who made sure that God, you know, all the details and all this? The Bible says that God doesn't need a mediator because he made this deal to the seed. And who was the seed? The son of God. He made it to himself. He made a promise to his son. He, he, didn't, need to, he didn't need to write it down, you know. He says, okay, let me check with myself. Yep, I'm good with it, you know. <laughs> okay, will you let yourself down? No. Okay, cool. Like, this is a conversation he had and he made with himself that you and I enjoy. So this is how Paul kind of wraps this up. He goes, look, before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. See, for the Jew, you, you were shut up because you were responsible for holding on to the law. <laughs> you had the law. You had the promise, and, and it shut you down. There's nothing you can do against this. To the Gentile, you were shut out. <laughs> you had no way in. You had no way to enjoy this promise. Therefore, the law became our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, Galatians, you are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Man, think about that. You are all children of God. I don't know. We live on this planet that reminds us of a lot of things about our parents, our life, 
You know, the older you get, you start thinking more and more about genetics and, okay, what's coming and what am I facing and what's going on and all this. And, and the crazy part is, is that you and I, that's not actually where we live. <laughs> we live in him, his life in us. This is, this is who I am now. I don't need a tutor. I, I can now see sin. I see when I, that didn't look like love. I'm able to, to comprehend that and see that and correct and fix and make, make relationships better and all that kind of stuff. Do I need someone to come up to me and, and give me the, the basic advice? No. And you can think of things in your life where it would be just kind of weird if, if you're an expert at something and someone comes to you and says, yeah, but do you know two plus two equals four, you know? Yeah, I do. <laughs> we started with that. No, he says, look, now that you have Jesus living in you, do you realize you were crucified? All that stuff that you're going to fight for about, oh, well, I can't help it. This is how I am, and this is my stuff, and I don't know. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's, it's Jesus. He, he saw you 2,000 years ago. He saw you. He knew before you ever breathed a breath every single thing you would ever do. He, he saw it all. Oh, that massive mistake you made. Yeah, he saw that. He knew you were going to do that, and he said, cool, I'm going to love him or her anyway. I'm going to give them my life so that they don't have to look at their brokenness. They don't have to look at their damage. They can look instead at my perfection that, by the way, is every good thing in you. <laughs> Why? Well, because Christ Jesus needed every good thing in him. And so you and I get to enjoy it. In Matthew 12, as, as we're going to close this morning, Jesus is, is uh, demonstrating this point. He's, he's revealing a reality uh, that was unlike anything anyone had ever seen. And, and when you look at these Pharisees, the ones that were standing by, I want you to remember, these are not the law keepers. These are not the teachers of the law, okay? The Pharisees, and I, and I say this <laughs> very accurately, were very much more akin to what we would know as like the Westboro Baptists, Okay? God bless them, God loves them as humans, you know, whatever, but everything that they do is stupid. I don't mind saying that, because it is. <laughs> They're radicalized over the law. It's exactly what these guys were. They weren't just teachers of it. No, they were radical about it. And here they all are in this moment, and Jesus is walking. In Matthew chapter 12, he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw them, they said, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. You know, forget the fact that these guys have been literally pouring out their lives, walking around, feeding thousands of people, healing the sick, doing all of these wonderful things. But no, wait a minute. They went out and picked some grain to eat. They're starving. The Pharisees point at them and say, look at them. Look at what they're doing. Shame on you. You know, Jesus, he had a way with words. He goes, okay, you guys like David. You remember David? You know, he raided the temple for food. He was so hungry, he went right on in there where the priests are supposed to go, and he goes, hey, there's bread here. Let's eat it. <laughs> this is consecrated bread, by the way. It's like the holy bread. Like, you can't just eat this. Priests eat this. And the Bible says that Jesus says, oh, David was innocent. God, God didn't judge him at all about that. What? Okay, then he continues, and he goes, well, uh, <laughs> how about priests themselves? He goes, you know they're working on the Sabbath, right? They're having to do sacrifices. They're having to do all of these things. It's work. And the Bible says they're innocent. Huh. The Sabbath. Jesus is making a point. 
And the point is, is this. He goes, something greater than the temple is here and you can't even see it. You're unable to see it because your eyes are not fixed on God, the Father. Your eyes are fixed on you. You, you, you can't see if you're looking at yourself. <laughs> the Sabbath is a reality, not a rule. But we only knew it as a rule when God knew it as a reality. So look at what Matthew 12, 8 says. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Do you understand that <laughs> my Father didn't make this day, uh, He didn't make me for this day, like He didn't make you for the Sabbath either. He made the Sabbath for you, right? This is the idea, is that you weren't, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a paradigm you can completely miss here. God didn't make rules or make you so that you could obey rules, right? He, he, he put these things in place to expose a reality that he knew you can't see without his help. Rest. Resting. You know it's not just meant for one day of the week. It has nothing to do with going to church. It has nothing to do with Sunday or the holy day or any of those things. That's all stuff we came up with. No, the Sabbath is a reality, and Jesus is going to show this. Look, he moves on. He, he walks on, and in verse 10 Moving on from there, Jesus entered into the synagogue, He's, and a man was with a withered hand was there. And in order to accuse Jesus, they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he replied, if, if one of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Stop there. You realize he's pointing at their hypocrisy. These guys were great at pointing a finger, and then they would just go do the exact opposite anyway. Right? Everybody who is obsessed with the law is a hypocrite. Like, I, I, I'm not saying that meanfully. I, you may not realize it. <laughs> I was the biggest one of them all at one point in time in my life. I missed the entire point. And he's saying, listen, even you guys, you're walking along the road with your sheep, and he falls into a ditch. Are you going to be like, what day is it? Sunday. See you on Monday, buddy. Like, no, you're going to jump down, and you're going to get the little sheep out, and you're going to take them home. He's saying, then if that's the case... <laughs> How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Obsessing over the law puts you on par with an animal. It, it, it doesn't even see your value. It doesn't see who you are. you got to see things through his eyes. So Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He stretched it out, and it was restored to full use just like the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. I mean, a dude's hand just like is back, and they're like, let's kill him. I mean, yeah, you should laugh because that's how crazy, that's why Paul is saying, Galatians, don't make me say it again. You're foolish. Even Jesus didn't exist this way. He didn't walk in this way. He revealed a reality, not a new set of rules for you to keep. He revealed a reality of love that once that love was within you, he knew it would take care of everything. The law shut you up. Grace freed you up. The law gave Jesus a way out so that grace could give you a way in. <laughs> oh, it's totally different. This morning, we're going to take communion. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Depending on where you've come from, depending on what churches you've been a part of, depending on what you've been taught about this, you could make the mistake that the Galatians made and put the attention back on you. You know, take five minutes and think about all your sin and think about the things you need to ask God for. Or you could remember Galatians 2.20 that it, you died. 
No, we're not here today to sit around and think about our sin and how bad and we should feel. And no, no, we're going to focus on Jesus. When we look at this bread and we look at the cup, we're going to see Jesus. And we're going to look at his life in us. Thank you.